The poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619-599-1104. God bless you. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Okay, so now tonight, if you would turn in your Bibles to, to Exodus chapter 12, 13, Exodus chapter 12, 13. We're going to um, we're going to have a wonderful time here as we continue in our series of Behold the Blood, Behold the Blood. So, you know, Exodus chapter 12, verse 13. We're going to start off in prayer as we always do. We're going to ask the God of Abraham to what Abraham asked God to do, which is to help. So let's pray together. We do call on your name, the God of Abraham. We call on your name right now, Lord Jesus, Jehovah Jesus, God of Abraham, help us. Help us, Lord. We're opening up your sacred word. We know, Lord, that the word can be for us a fountain of life, and we want it to be that way tonight. Lord, we pray, take the dullness of our hearts away. Lord, revive us again, we pray in Jesus' name. Okay, Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, very, very, very important verse. Exodus 12, 13, our key verse for tonight. And the blood shall be for you, the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Now, we are studying now in our series, Behold the Blood, and it's all based on the last words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Last words are so interesting. They're so very interesting before a person dies. And I'm gonna read some of the last words of some famous people, and I want you to think about them as I'm reading them. Try to categorize in your mind which group they would fall into. Winston Churchill, I am bored with it all. His last words. Princess Diana, my God, what's happened? Goethe, more light, more light. John Lennon, I'm shot. Elvis Presley, I hope I haven't bored you. Frank Sinatra, I'm losing it. Joan Crawford, don't you dare ask God to help me. Eleanor Roosevelt, utter nonsense. Amy Winehouse, I don't want to die. 
Steve Jobs, oh wow, oh wow. Wittgenstein, who was a philosopher, tell them I have lived a wonderful life. Then President James Monroe, who had a very close friendship, President James Monroe had a very close friendship with James Madison. His last words were, I regret that I shall leave this life without beholding him, meaning James Madison. Richard Nixon, help. Sigmund Freud, now it's nothing more than torture and makes no sense anymore. And Charles Krauthammer, the commentator who revealed that he only has weeks to live now, his words now are, the fight is over, I have lived the life that I intended. Now, when you think about all those last, those last words, those various people, you can put them into different categories. Some of those last words are a cry of, surprise, I'm dying. And some of those last words were a cry of fight, a cry of fight to live. And some of those last words were a cry for help. And some of those last words were a cry for no help. And some of those last words were a cry of defeat. And some were a uh, 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 looking back on life with regret. And some of them were looking back on life with satisfaction, with the life that they lived. And some of those, li uh, some of those looked back on life with a hope that others were satisfied with the life that they lived. But all those last words are so totally different from the last words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he said on the cross, which is the foundation of our study series here, which is John 19.30, and John 19.30, where the last words of the Lord are recorded, when it says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He said, it is finished, it's three words in our Actually, it was one word in the Hebrew that he said, asab means finished, done, or accomplished. So, some looked at the Lord Jesus Christ as he was dying and thought of how his death was such an awful tragedy. But his last words did not express the tragedy of his death. He didn't say, oh no, I'm crucified, oh no, I'm dying. Some looked at the Lord Jesus with a shock and a surprise. How could such a good man that had helped so many people now meet this horrible death? And they were surprised to see him on the cross. But the Lord Jesus Christ was not surprised to be on the cross. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, he said to the person who started the sequence of events that ended in the cross, his betrayer, Judas Iscariot, he said to him in John 13, 27, and after the sop, John 13, 13 27, after the sop, G Satan entered into him, then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. So what makes the difference? What makes the difference between the last words of the Lord Jesus? How are they so different from all those words of those, those, those different famous people who spoke about their death? What made the last words of the Lord so different was this strong intention that the Lord had and he was expressing in his death when he said, it is finished. While others, others most people try not to think about death. They turn away from it except for Charles Krauthammer, who says that he thinks about death every day. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he looked at his death differently, and he saw it as a time when the phase one, when the first phase of his work on earth would be finished. And we can see this in John 9, 4. John 9, 4, when he said, 
I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. So what made the, the last words of the Lord Jesus so different was that the Lord Jesus was seeing his life as divided into two phases. Phase one, phase two. The first phase is what he accomplished before his suffering and death. And the second phase was what he accomplished in or during his suffering and death. And the words that he accomplished in phase one before his suffering and death was, could be summed up, so to speak, by a silence that there was when his accusers were asked, when he, in fact, asked his accusers in John 8, 46, John 8, 46, when he asked this question to his accuser, which of you convinceth me of sin? And there was a silence that said it all. There was no sin. And the work that he accomplished in his first phase, in phase one, before he came to suffer and die, included the work of his teaching, of his teaching. And, and as a matter of fact, in Matthew 7, 29, it's kind of a summary, a summary statement of his, his teaching. Matthew 7, 29, it says, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. That was his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And his teaching is still amazing today. It's still amazing with the authority which he teaches. As a matter of fact, when there were officers who were sent by the leaders to try to entrap him, try to bring him to them, they returned and said in John 7, 46, John 7, 46, the officers answered, never man spake like this man. And the world is still saying that. The world is still saying there was never a person who spoke like the Lord Jesus. So the work that he accomplished in his phase one before he came to suffer and die include also his work of helping everyone who came to him, turning away no one, which is what it says in Luke 6.19. Luke 6.19, the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went out virtue out of him, and he healed them all, every single one. And people still go to him today for healing in prayer. The work that he accomplished in phase one before he suffered and died included his great work of raising the dead to life again. Lazarus and all of John chapter 11 and John chapter 12 verse one, John chapter 12 verse one starts by saying that Jesus was in Bethany before the Passover where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. So others looking at his first phase of his life before he suffered, they said about him in Mark 7.37, Mark 7.37, they were beyond measure astonished, saying he hath done all things well. He hath done all things well. He makes the dumb to hear. He makes, he makes the deaf to hear. He makes the dumb to speak. That's an overall evaluation of the first phase of the Lord Jesus when it says that he hath done all things well. He raised the dead to life. And the Lord Jesus actually also spoke of his own, he spoke of, he spoke of his own phase one when he was asked by the messengers of John if he was really the Messiah. And he spoke about this phase one of his life when he quoted, speaking about himself, he quoted Isaiah 61.1, Isaiah 61.1, and we read it in Luke 7.22, Luke 7.22, when it says, then Jesus answering said unto them, go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard, how that the blind see, 
the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and, the, and to, the, uh, to the poor, the gospel is preached. All the first phase of the, Lord, of, of, of the life of the Lord Jesus before he came to suffer and die. Unmatched in purity, in beauty, it was marvelous. And what's interesting is how others, at the end of their lives, they look back on their lives and they say, well, you know, I did this in my life. That was my finest hour. I did that in my life. That was my greatest accomplishment. But that, for the Lord Jesus, that was the first phase of his life, phase one. But what is so uniquely different about the Lord Jesus is that his finest hour, his greatest accomplishments, were not achieved in the first phase of his life before he suffered and died. His greatest achievements, his greatest accomplishments were made when he suffered and died. And his greatest accomplishments, what he was referring to when he said, it is finished. That was the accomplishments in the second phase when he was suffering and dying. That's what we have been calling the accomplishments of his blood. The accomplishments of his blood. That's been the focus of our, our series here as we have taken that phrase from Exodus 24.8, Exodus 24.8, where Moses said, behold the blood, behold the blood of the covenant. The greatest accomplishments of his life were the accomplishments of his blood. And they were, his blood removed our sins. In 9.22, you're all printed in your bulletin. His blood redeemed us in 1 Peter 1.18 through 19. His blood covered our sins in Leviticus 17.11. His blood reconciled us to God. In Ephesians 2.13, his blood cleansed our souls in 1 John 1.17. His blood gave us peace with God in Colossians 1.20. His blood justified us to God in Romans 5.9. His blood made our robes white in Revelation 7.14. His blood sanctified us in Hebrews 13.12. His blood made us overcomers in Revelation 12.11. His blood gave us a boldness to come in before God in Hebrews 10, 19. And from our message last week, his blood gave us a covenant with God from Hebrews 10, 19. Those are the accomplishments of the blood in phase two, in the second phase of his life, which was during or in his, his sufferings and death. That were, those were his greatest works. That was his greatest works. Now we're gonna turn our focus to yet another great accomplishment of his blood, which was the achievement of protection. Protection. How his blood accomplished our protection. Now, when you get to this subject of the protection, there's no better illustration, there's no better demonstration of what it means to be protected by God than to look at how God protected the children of Israel that were in Egypt at that time at the time when God was bringing down judgment on Egypt. It was a very delicate affair for God. Why? Because there were God's people and they were in Egypt. God wanted to bring them out of Egypt, but God was going to judge Egypt while they were in it. And, and God said that in, in Exodus 12, 12, Exodus 12, 12, when he said, against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, I am the Lord. The gods of Egypt were all over Egypt. Everywhere in Egypt, you couldn't turn but see one of the gods of Egypt. And he said, I'm gonna execute judgment on all the gods 
of Egypt, he says he's the Lord. Because at that point, God had had enough. He was fed up with the false gods in Egypt. He was tired of the Egyptians continually holding his people, God's people, the Jewish people, in bondage when God wanted Israel out to serve him. So God said that he was going to judge Egypt, and God did. And he did judge them with 10 horrible plagues. But the only problem was that Israel was intertwined within Egypt, and God was going to judge God, God was going to judge Egypt. He was going to judge Egypt, but he, he wanted to judge Egypt, but not harm Israel. He didn't want to harm Israel. So that meant that God had to protect Israel while they were there in Egypt. You know, it reminds me of uh, our radiation therapy. And, and, and the challenge is to use the destructive radiation beams to destroy the, the cancer that's in the jaw, but not to destroy other, other parts which shouldn't be destroyed, like the salivary glands and other tissues in the jaw. And, and yet the jaw is intertwined there. And so they got it. So what's done, so what's done, the cancer's intertwined. So what's done is that a mask is built, a protective mask is built for each patient that has special holes in the mask where the mask blocks the radiation beams from destroying the, the tissue that's underneath it, but where the holes are, the radiation goes in in, in, a, in, a, in a kind of a laser-focused manner there just to destroy the jaw cancer. So during the plague judgments in, in Egypt, God made a radiation protection mask for Israel to protect Israel from the judgment plagues that he was bringing on Egypt. And that's what, that's, what, that's what we want to see here. It was, we can see how God protected Israel from the judgment plagues. God protected Israel from the judgment plague of the flies, of the flies. God, that God sent these flies on Egypt when, when God told Pharaoh that the fly judgment was coming. And he said that in Exodus 8.21, Exodus 8.21. And he says to, to, to Pharaoh, else if thou wilt not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee and upon thy servants and upon thy people into thy houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies. Imagine that. And also the ground wherein they are. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, in the which my people dwell that no swarms of flies shall be there to the end that thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of thee. So God spoke of protecting Israel from the fly judgment, and God said that he was going to sever in that day uh, the land of, of, of Goshen, in which, which his people were, so there would be no swarms of flies there. He used that word sever to describe his protection. It's the radiation mass, the protection of Israel. And then we could just almost see God as he's going to bring this, this fly judgment down and he kind of pushes his off to the side as in separating them from the Egyptians. I mean, this is a picture of God protecting his people. It's an action of separating his people from the judgment. This is the whole concept of the rapture. The rapture, when God raptures his people off the earth, he will be him severing his people from earth, that, that, and the earth that he's then going to shower judgment on. So God said that his severing here of, of Israel to protect them had not only the purpose of shielding Israel from the judgment like the radiation masks, 
the, the shield the patient, but also that there was another purpose that God had in mind. And his protection, and it says that as we read in Exodus 8.22, Exodus 8.22, where he said, to the end thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. I mean, just imagine how that was. The sky becomes darkened with swarms of flies that roll in like waves. So waves of terror. A little bit of light comes through and another dark one comes. I mean, there were, there were not enough fly swatters to kill all those flies. They landed everywhere. I mean, you, you forget about screen doors. God said they're gonna be in your houses. You couldn't breathe without getting flies in your mouth, in your nose, on your eyes, all over. It was horrible. Alfred Hitchcock should have made a movie about, yeah, I call the flies instead of the birds. But in the land of Goshen, no one had a fly swatter because that was a, that was a totally a no-fly zone. So, so God accomplished his purpose of protecting Israel from this plague of flies. But God had this goal, and that was that during this time, as, as, there, as the world saw that his people, the Jews, were protected, they were protected, and that was to say, I'm going to show you that so that you know that God is in the midst of the earth. God said specifically that his protection was a testimony to the fact that God is in the midst of the earth. Being in the midst of the earth means that God sees everything on earth. He's right here. Nothing is hid from the eyes of God. But many people today think that, well, God doesn't see. God doesn't see. They think that they can get away with wickedness because they think, well, you know, God's so busy. He must have quite an, a list on his agenda of things to do and other things he's just, that, he, that he's just, in essence, he's forsaken the earth. Oh, look, he's got Mars to worry about. But it says in Ezekiel 8.12, Ezekiel 8.12, Then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery. For they say, The Lord seeth us not, the Lord hath forsaken the earth. That's not true. But by protecting his people, by protecting the Jews, God was showing he's in the midst of the earth. Israel should have been destroyed. They never, first of all, they never should have won the War of Independence in 1940. They didn't have anything. They managed to commandeer a few planes from the British because of some, some Jewish women lovers. But they, so they fly the planes over. They don't have any bombs. So what do they do? They take bottles of soda and drop them on the enemy, and the enemy runs. In many testimonies like this, we're in the 67 war, in the Six-Day War, where the enemy said, we saw angels, and we ran. So what is God doing there? By protecting his people, even though when they were in unbelief, God is showing that he's in the midst of the earth. I mean, the lost, they think, well, God's in heaven, and so removed from earth, that he doesn't see or care about what's done down here. But Job said it right. Job said it right in Job 22.12, Job 22.12, where Job said, is not God in the height of heaven, and behold the height of the stars? how high they are, and thou sayest, how doth God know? Can he judge through the dark cloud? The answer is yes. God said, and, and by protecting his people, he was showing he's right here. Like the United Nations today, all the nations today in the United Nations who may know that Israel is God's people, maybe they, they learned it in Sunday school, but they attack Israel. They afflict Israel with one condemnation after another, and they're thinking of as they do 
is described perfectly in Psalm 94.5. Psalm 94.5, where it says, They break in pieces thy people, O Lord, and afflict thine heritage. Then in verse 7, 94.7, Psalm 94.7, Yet they say the Lord shall not see, neither shall the God of Jacob regard it. Yet Israel and the Jewish people have been protected, and God said that by protecting his people, he was showing, I'm right there, I'm right there. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619-599-1104. God bless you. <laughs> 